This is the When You Die podcast. If it has to do with death and dying, we're talking about it. Today's host is Kelly McLean. My guest today is Katrina Spade. While earning her Master's of Architecture, Katrina invented a system to transform dead bodies into soil. In 2017, she branded the system Recompose, which you can check out at recompose.life. Recompose offers a green alternative to cremation and conventional burial methods with this natural process of recomposition, which gently converts human remains into soil so that we can nourish new life after we die. She's been featured in The Guardian, NPR, Wired, Fast Company, and The New York Times. Thank you so much, Katrina, for joining us on the When You Die podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I saw you speak at the death salon last year, and I got very excited, uh, green burial crush on you and your whole mission, everything you're doing. Um, so I was hoping you could tell us a little bit, a little bit about it today. Sure, um, I'd be happy to do that. So, um, yeah, you mentioned green burial, and I often think about recompose and what we're doing as the urban equivalent to a natural burial or a green burial which of course I'm sure most of your podcast listeners know is where a body is just wrapped in a shroud or a pine box and, and put directly in the earth, sort of the way we've done it for a long, long time. But when I was in grad school um, several years ago, uh, thinking about my own mortality and looking at the funeral industry, it occurred to me that natural burial, green burial probably wasn't a solution for everyone who lives in cities um, because it still takes up a fair amount of land. So I started working on a project that, again, I think of as kind of the equivalent, um, accelerates a little bit what happens in the ground, um, but in general it's the same idea of using nature to just do what it does anyway. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit what the actual process is? Anytime I tell people about recomposing they get really fascinated and what they usually ask is how long does it take and how on earth do they transform a human body into soil yeah so um essentially what we're doing is taking the process that happens on the forest floor which is where dead organic material um and with the right um ratio of carbon and nitrogen and a nice amount of oxygen and also some moisture decompose and turn into topsoil. So if you imagine literally what's happening on the forest floor with all kinds of leaves that are trees, leaves, probably some chipmunks in there, that's what we're sort of mimicking. And we do that by, um, we, we have designed a vessel system, which is basically like a big container. Um, and inside of that container, we lay a mixture of wood chips, alfalfa, and straw, which is actually a really great mixture that has a lot of carbon and nitrogen ready to break down and also happens, as a side note, happens to smell really great and create a really nice um, bed to lay your your deceased loved one upon. So we lay a body on top of those materials and put more of the same on top. And then over a 30-day span, we provide oxygen, so we aerate using a basic, pretty simple fan system, and um, some moisture, a little bit of a little sprinkle of water here and there. And 
the microbial activity, the microbes and the bacteria that are around us all the time, that are on those wood chips already, that are in the air, uh, break down the body. It's really quite amazing. It's totally something, all, really all we do is create the environment so that nature can do its job. And it kind of astounds me every time I see it happen. It's pretty incredible. I mean, when I have told people about this and they ask, like, how on earth do they do that? I think that what they're imagining is some sort of chemical in some Mm -hmm. sort of really weird machine that would do this bizarre process. But what you're saying is actually, no, we're just creating the conditions for nature to do its thing. Uh, Probably, I'm guessing, faster than it would happen in nature. Yeah, and even faster than so. Um, this this process has been used for decades with livestock on farms as a way to recycle animals back to the land. I didn't invent like the concept of taking a dead animal and turning it into soil, but um, but we're uh, redesigning it to make it appropriate for humans, especially from a ritual and sort of um, emotional standpoint. But um, What's cool about this process is that the, because we are, because we are sort of hyper-managed the environment for these microbes, the community of microbes are actually working at, they're, they're uh, thermophilic microbes working at temperatures between 120 and 150 degrees Fahrenheit. That is, they create those temperatures by their activity. And if you imagine, so, so the process is, is um, based on the principles of livestock mortality composting. That composting is a way to think about taking carbon and nitrogen and breaking everything down into its molecular pieces. Um, And uh, the cool thing is that um, this mortality composting works at a much higher temperature threshold than, say, like your backyard food waste composting. And so that sort of gives, that's part of the reason for the accelerated time frame. Wow, that that makes sense. And what does the time frame end up looking like in nature for a human body versus uh, in, you know, the the facility that you're envisioning? Sure. So in well, I can tell you two things. One, like in a natural burial, uh, how long it takes for a body to decompose completely depends on a lot of things. Mostly depends on like what is the soil makeup um, of the place the person is buried. So if you're buried in New Mexico in the desert, actually, you're probably never going to decompose. It's probably more of a mummification that happens because there's no moisture or hardly any moisture um, in the ground. And um, so, and and probably very little oxygen too, because you've got this packed kind of uh, dirt situation. Mm -hmm. If you're buried in the mountains of North Carolina, where the soil is loamy and there could be plant life and oxygen and uh, moisture there, you would see a a quicker um, decomposition. And I think from what I understand, you know, natural burials can anywhere from a year plus, you can have certainly decomposition of the flesh. And then bones really depend, again, on whether there's enough moisture in the soil and oxygen. So um, uh, I, I think it's really dependent. And the beauty is that you just, with natural burial, you just let nature take its time. And so we were, again, we were looking at that model, which is truly the most beautiful model, I think, and saying, okay, well, if we're, if we're going to provide some, a service like this in our cities, 
we probably can't let nature take as long as it might say right. in the hills of North Carolina, right? We don't have Not the best business to, model. To <laughs> and like, exactly. And so it really does matter that we can have everything happen within about a month's time frame. Wow. And can you walk me through, you know, just what you envision for this recomposing facility, what you would envision the experience to be like for the family? I can tell you with the um, loved ones that I have lost, uh, we have cremated them. And Mm -hmm. the experience after our, you know, our service was very, we, we went into a warehouse and you know, it's not really where you want to say goodbye to your brother, you know, mm-hmm. it's very industrial. And then they go into this oven and then there's a button that's pushed and then you get back, you know, a cardboard box full of ashes. So that was our experience. And I'm curious, what do you envision the experience to be for a family coming to your facility? Yeah. So, um, I think that the ability to transform your loved one into soil, is almost just I guess you might consider that the heart of all this, but it's not everything because um, what we're really excited about is creating places in our cities where there, you, know, you could think of them. I mean, they'll all look very different, but places that you would want to be something we think a lot about the light in the place that we'll design and, and having um, gardens on site. And so Part of what we're offering, part of sort of our service includes time with the body if the family chooses on site. Um, we want to have families participate in, for example, the washing and shrouding of the body before it's laid into our recomposed system. We want to have families take part in all of the work of caring for their loved one if they choose. Because we, like, the way I see it, the work is something that, number one, humans have always done until recently, there's no reason we can't do the work of caring for our loved ones. And not only that, there's something really powerful and beautiful in doing the work itself. So our staff will be there as support, always able to do all of it if if need be, but always encouraging families and letting families kind of lead. So, um, So part of the thing is having shrouding rooms on site where families can have some private time and then having, um, what you would consider a ritual where when we do lay the body into this vessel, that is, that's sort of the moment. And um, we hope it can be something that feels like a marking of this person's life. Um, And then on the other end of the month's time coming back and then receiving some of that soil that's been created and then going to grow a tree or whatever, whatever the decision is on that can be more of a family driven or that, that'll be a family decision, but it could be another part of the ritual. Wow, that's such a different experience than we usually have. It sounds really beautiful. And it, it does sound like kind of there's a sacredness and ritual to it, which I think for some people, the obstacle to this, to getting into this idea might be, um, the it might be emotional just because, Soil is something that we don't always think of as um, sacred, sadly, right? Mm-hmm. Very sadly. Mm-hmm. It's something that we're, uh, dirt feels kind of lowly or something. Yeah, that's true. And I think in a way, like sometimes when I'm feeling like philosophical, I like to kind of play with that tension a little because, mm-hmm. I mean, 
What's cool about the recomposed process is we actually cease to be human during this time, during that 30 days. Like our bodies will be broken down on a molecular level. Um, and, you know, no DNA or RNA remains. And so I find that particularly beautiful that we would return to another state altogether. So the soil that's created is on the one hand symbolically precious, and on the other hand, in a way, it's okay to think of it as just dirt. And so that's a really interesting, um, just an interesting thing, I think, for people to play with a little bit. But um, but, but because it's so important and, and because we want to use that soil to really heighten the, um, the uh, mission, right, we'll have relationships with uh, environmental organizations. So, for example... We know that about a cubic yard of soil is created per person, and that's because there's so much other material that goes into the process, wood chips and straw and alfalfa. Cubic yard is three by three by three feet. So it's like kind of a lot for some families. Yeah, and so I'm many pretty families short, so may, I might need it. Yeah. might be two by two. <laughs> exactly. So many families might just want like uh, a bowl or a, a smaller box of the soil. Yeah. And so we will, like, Recompose will take care of the remainder, and that will go and nourish land in the Puget Sound region, conservation land. So then you can go and visit it a little bit like a natural burial ground, but but without the humans actually buried there. But you can visit a place that is then meaningful to you. So, yeah. So I think that even though this, like, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, technically this is dirt, and that's what happens when um, when soil is created. But But, of course, there's this deep meaning in it. Yeah, I really like what you said about the, you know, the sacredness of it. And then also that like it being okay for it to just feel like, oh, it's just dirt because it's hard for the families, you know, the letting go process, obviously, and grief. And there's something about the reality of like that person's physical body is no longer on the earth anymore. Yeah. Like they have moved on. They are in a new, completely new form. Um, I think could for the grieving families also allow them to let go and embrace the impermanence of the situation. Yeah, totally. And I think also one of the things we're always thinking about is how can we remove any feelings of guilt or shame or judgment from this entire process? So that means encouraging families to participate but not requiring it ever and not pushing it. But it also means on the other end, like, no one should, if you don't want that dirt, if you don't want that soil, that's totally okay. No one should, because I think there's a, I think there's a lot of people who have ashes of a family member and don't really know what to do with them and know they should do something that should, should, should feeling. And we're on the one hand pushing for ritual and we're going to give you something that's meaningful in the experience in the place. But at the same time, really trying to remove the judgment from it all because um, that doesn't do anyone any good. I think that's great. I think there are so many shoulds involved. In fact, I think most people go along with the way that we do death and burial in this in this society um, just because they think they should, even though maybe they were creeped out by the few funerals that they went to, they might still opt to go that direction um, when their parent dies and it's their decision because mm-hmm. they just, 
feel that they should go along with it. And um, one thing I have found in my own grieving process and watching other people around me is there's really no wrong way to do it. And there really are no shoulds, you know? I agree, right. There's no wrong way to do any of this stuff. And so, but yet it feels like there must be and people wonder what the right way is. And so, yeah. Right, well, that's why it's good that, it's good for these conversations to happen so people can um, have a little bit of permission that we're not given in the society. Um, so tell me what, what's happening now with your project. Uh, where are things standing today? Yeah, so we recently finished a pilot at uh, Washington State University. And that was really, we did that, like I said, um, Farmers have been recycling animals back to the land in very similar ways for decades, and it's been proven again and again to be a very safe and effective process. <clears throat> Never been done before with humans, so we had to prove that, in fact, it does, does work. <laughs> the same process doesn't really work for human beings. Um, <clears throat> and we did that, uh, that research in part to bring to the Washington State Legislature um, or, or sort of use in our in our campaign with the Washington State Legislature to legalize recomposition for use here in Washington State. As you probably know, like funeral laws are state by state, and so there's no uh, federal law that would allow recomposition broadly. Um, but we're starting in here in Washington State to legalize the process and hope to then um, bring it to other states where people want this. And so. Our bill will be um, part of the 2019 legislative session, which is, starts in January. So I'm pretty excited about the January through March time timeline. Um, and if we manage to legalize it, and so far we have legislators really understanding that this is truly about two things. When, it, when you boil it all down, it's about environmental options for death care and it's about consumer choice. And so there's there's not really a whole lot of um, reason to be against another option when it comes to the care of our bodies after death. So we've had great responses from our legislators. If we can legalize um, in the next, gosh, that's about six months from now, then we'll be raising money to open the first facility and we'll do so here in Seattle. Wow, that's so incredible. And what are some of the legal challenges that you might face, say, in a state that might not get it so much as your own state? I, would, I think not as much legal challenges as it would be. I mean, when it comes down to it, legislators are people, and they're doing what they think their constituents want. So um, <clears throat> there's not any real legal reason why we would have trouble passing, adding recomposition to the list of allowable methods of disposition. So Right now in Washington State, you can cremate, you can bury, or you can donate your body to science. And we're going to add recomposition to that list. And we're actually pairing, we're actually doing a dual bill. We'll hope to legalize alkaline hydrolysis as well. So, um, oh, amazing. And really broadening and the options. That's also known as aquamation. Mm -hmm. So, for those who don't know, although we, we did do a podcast with the um, ladies at Resting Waters from Seattle oh, as well. Cool. So we have information on that if anyone's interested. But yeah, it's it's essentially a form of water cremation that is also more, much more green than cremation. Yeah, totally. So if we can do both of those, we'll be the most 
progressive state in the country when it comes to death care. Wow, um, amazing. Yeah, so that, that, that's what's big on our, um, those are the big things on the horizon. And can you see what kind of impact it would have, you know, for environmentally for um, the, I mean, I don't know what the, the stats would be, but for if if half the people opted for recomposition rather than burial or cremation. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure it has quite those numbers, but, but it wouldn't be too hard to calculate, I guess. But I can tell you that in our um, calculations, actually a, a team of students from the Netherlands and a PhD in uh, life cycle assessments did these did this calculation. So um, they found that uh, um, we could save, it, for each person that chooses recomposition instead of cremation or burial, we would save about a cute uh, metric ton of carbon. That's um, so that's huge. kind of a big number for, yeah, it is. And part of that is, is that sort of looking at both the um, manufacturer and transportation of caskets, grave liners, et cetera. It, it looks at the um, maintenance of cemeteries. It looks at the, uh, the energy needed, of course, to cremate. And then on the flip side, we're looking at the sequestration of carbon that happens with our process. So we actually sequester carbon rather than emitting it. So it's kind of a both sides of the equation give us a pretty good savings. And then in terms of energy use, we're at about an eighth the energy of cremation. And then finally, I mean, for me, a lot of this is like we're creating soil, which is a precious resource, and we're hopefully creating people who steward the earth in an even deeper way as well. So I think that carbon saving is great. We're probably not going to solve climate change by doing this, but we can we can make a dent, and we're we're, we're creating like a really earth-aligned um, model. Right. It may not solve climate change, but you also probably won't solve climate change without addressing what we do with bodies and looking at the death and the spectrum in addition to life. Um, And it's just nice to end on a green note. You know, I know a lot of people drive Priuses and, you know, eat, wear things made out of recycled yoga mats and whatever. And that's all great, but it's kind of nice to, to have your, you know, it really does matter how you end any story. And it's nice to have that um, value that a lot of people have reflected. Um, or as my mom said, cause I just told her, uh, about this interview and we were talking about it and she said, I, I want to have that done with my body. And she said, it'll be my, I'm sorry for all the things oh, I did wow. wrong in my life to the earth. <laughs> and I thought that was very sweet and a little sad. She's yeah, not. Totally. <laughs> um, well, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, Katrina? Anything that uh, anybody can do to, to help or get involved in your movement? I mean, there's two things. The first is, please, if you're interested in just following along with this adventure, um, come to www.recompose.life and sign up for our newsletter. I send it out about once, or once a month or once every other month. But, you know, I will keep you posted as we keep going with this and then um talk to your family and friends that's huge like even if you don't want recompose talk to your family and friends and tell them what you do want and and opening up the conversation is such a big part of it Mm -hmm. absolutely and um 
before I let you go, I want to ask, so you've, you have piloted, you've done your pilot program. What has the response been from families who have received their, you know, the soil back? Oh yeah. Well, unfortunately, because it was part of our research program in terms of the research protocol, we couldn't give the soil back to families. So that was a ah. pretty big disappointment. Oh, but, but, but like just for them knowing that this is what happened. Oh yeah. I mean, in terms of the experience, it was, it was wonderful because I mean, all of the people who donated their bodies for this research, like this was sort of like you said, is one, the last thing they were contributing in a huge way to this whole movement. And so it was, I think a really special thing. Yeah. Well, it really does feel good when you do something nice for someone or something nice for the environment. And I imagine having that feeling wrapped up in the, the final feeling of uh, saying goodbye to your loved one would add a really positive tone to the whole thing. Yeah. Which we don't always get. Right. Totally. Yeah. I think it, I think it was. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And lastly, I always ask um, if you have one wish for your own death, for your own end, what would that be? And it, it doesn't have to be the one big one, but what's, what's one wish that you have for what's your one own wish? death? Yeah. Um, yeah. I always tell my girlfriend and my kids that they have to, I want them to just do some ritual every year on my death anniversary. Mm-hmm. So that's my hope. That's do something. sweet. Do you have any ideas of what, uh, what kind of ritual might no, but the other day, the other day I was thinking, and it can't just be like go out to dinner. That's not quite. It. <laughs> <laughs> Although I guess that's pretty good if they get together and go out to dinner every year, forever. Yeah, I, I think that. <laughs> so long as they eat something that you really loved. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Katrina. I really appreciate it. I know you're super busy, and um, I, I know our listeners will really enjoy learning about this revolution you're starting so and thank you for everything you do thank you nice chatting today this conversation is brought to you by the when you die project from existential afterlife questions to palliative care and the nuts and bolts of green burial if it has to do with death we're talking about it when you die.org